Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. This week on Raw and basically SmackDown, this is their final episodes until uh, WrestleMania Backlash. So they're trying to pipe in as much things as they can to get people anticipated and go to Peacock and watch the WrestleMania Backlash pay-per-view, which will be happening tomorrow night, Sunday. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. On Raw, we had an in-ring promo from Paul Heyman, who had the bloodline in the ring. You had the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos, and the WWE Universal Heavyweight Champion, Roman Reigns. Paul Heyman sang the praises of Roman Reigns. Reigns got the pro uh, microphone. Reigns told the North Carolina crowd, since Raw was in North Carolina, to acknowledge him. And as soon as he does that, you see RK-Bro slide into the ring out of nowhere and hit the Usos with a pair of RKO's. Now that the Usos are taken out of the equation, you see Roman standing there and he looks at RK-Bro. And then you see Randy wave his hand uh, down and then you see Drew McIntyre appear and he starts walking his way down to the ring. RK-Bro leaves the ring and that leaves Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. They get nose to nose and then they start throwing hands with each other, but Drew would get the better of this. Until the Usos would get back into the ring and start attacking Drew from behind. RK-Bro would then get back in the ring and start fighting the Usos. And this would lead to a big brawl between these six men making the referees and backstage officials come out and separate these men. And that will be the last time you see all of these men throughout the rest of the night. After this, we got our first match of the night. It's a six-man tag matchup. Alpha Academy and Kevin Owens going against the Street Profits and Ezekiel. Kevin Owens and Alpha Academy would win the match by pinfall. When Ezekiel was running off the ropes, Kevin Owens tripped him, and Gabriel uh, got Ezekiel in a cradle pin for the win. This was a great match to start off Raw. Uh, again, Street Profits and Alpha Academy, they have been basically wrestling each other for months, so they know how to work with each other. Kevin Owens has worked with the Street Profits before. He's worked with Ezekiel uh, before, because Ezekiel is Elias, but we're going through this whole thing right now until they prove it. And... Uh, they all know how to work with each other in this matchup. It was a good way to start off Monday Night Raw. And after this, we will see Sonya Deville talking to Adam Pearce in their office. Sonya will complain to Adam about WWE management investigating her actions and abuse of power. Adam will tell Sonya that WWE management wants to see her compete in a wrestling match tonight as a competitor with no official power. So tonight... Sonya Deville had no official power. She was just a strict professional wrestler. And Adam told Sonya that she is in a six-woman tag matchup and that Sonya's partners would be Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch as they go against Liv Morgan, Asuka, and Bianca Belair in the main event of Monday Night Raw. After this, we will have Veer Mahan going against a local talent guy called Brent Hansen. And Veer would win the match by submission, as he does for these past weeks. He locks in the clavicle lock. His uh, opponent has to submit. And then after the match, again, like previous weeks, Veer would attack his opponent. But instead, this time, when he locked in the clavicle uh, clutch on Brent after the match, he locked it in while he was in the middle of the rope. So it add more torque onto uh, Brent's neck area. So he basically passed out in that. So they had to... Uh, get Veer off as the man passed out, and then Veer just walked away. Again, they're building up Veer as this big, unstoppable monster, and we're got to see who's going to be the first superstar to try to take out Veer. I have no idea yet. I haven't really put a lot of like 
eggs in that basket. But once I do and I look at the roster, I'll probably be able to find you guys somebody. After this, we would get Damian Priest with Edge in his corner going against AJ Styles. And the stipulation for this match would be if AJ were to win, Priest will be barred from AJ's match with Edge at WrestleMania Backlash. AJ would win the match by pinfall when AJ was about to lock in the calf crusher, but Edge got on the ring apron, distracted referee, and then AJ would let go of the hold, run over to Edge, lunge at him. Edge would drop off the ring apron, and then AJ would turn his attention back onto Priest. Priest would try to big boot AJ in the face, but AJ would move to the side, lock his arms around Priest's waist, run him into the ropes, get Priest in a roll-up pin for the win. After the match, Edge would immediately get in the ring and start hitting AJ in the face. Edge would pick up AJ, throw him to Priest, and Priest would hit a face-forward STO. Edge would get out of the ring and grab two steel chairs and place one under the left arm of Styles, the one that they've been targeting for the past weeks. And as Edge has the other chair in his hand, he's looking to hit a concerto on basically AJ's arm. Finn Balor would run down to the ring, stop Edge and Priest, and basically take out Edge and send Priest packing to the back. AJ and Finn would get in the middle of the ring. They stare at each other. AJ would throw the two sweet. Finn would two sweet them. And that's a nice little moment for everybody that's been in the known for the wrestling uh, world. Because again, Finn Balor started Bullet Club. Once he left the, uh, New Japan, he went to WWE. AJ stepped in. AJ became the leader. And then was AJ left, Kenny Omega, the whole story of Bullet Club. And it also symbolized that Bullet Club technically had their ninth anniversary last Sunday at uh, New Japan's wrestling Dantaku pay-per-view and everybody just had their nice fill up a bullet club on that pay-per-view because bullet club basically reigned supreme on that pay-per-view so the day after on monday night raw you see both of their former leaders throwing up the two suite on raw it send uh great nostalgia uh feelers for people that are in new japan has been watching bullet club for the last nine years so again it was a nice sweet little moment from aj and finn to new japan and bullet club as a whole after this, we would get Miz TV with their uh, Miz's special guest, Mustafa Ali. The whole thing was on this was that only Miz mic'd work. And this allowed Miz to get some pot shots on Ali. And Ali would ultimately grab the mic away from the Miz. And he told Miz that him and the rest of the fans are upset that the Miz still works here. Ali would say that unlike the Miz, who when Miz doesn't feel like he's getting his just due, he'll run to the back and complain to the people to the powers that be. Ali talks about how he will take his grievances to the public so the public can hear him. And you see the Miz and Ali work back and forth, like throwing shots at each other. And then you'll see Theory come down to the ring. There'll be more trash talking as Theory would say how Ali only wants a shot at him because he's the hottest thing right now. And he wants to be just granted a championship opportunity instead of work for it. Ali would say, no, I actually want to work for a shot at you. So Theory gives him it. Theory tells him that he spoke to Mr. McMahon and that he made a match for Ali. It would be Ali going against Miz and Theory in a handicap match right now. And if Ali wins, he gets a future United States uh, title shot. So the handicap match goes, Ali will lose to Miz and Theory when Ali and Theory were on the outside of the ring and Ali tried to enter the ring. Theory would grab Ali's leg, but Ali would push Theory off. Theory with the ring apron. Miz would grab Ali quickly, hit the Skull Crusher finale, and that was it. Miz would pin Ali to get the win. Once Miz and Theory were leaving the ring, they walking up the ramp. Ali would stand up, and then you see Ciampa just basically sneak in and hit 
uh, Ali from behind, and we still have no reason for why Ciampa attacked Ali. We still don't understand. There still hasn't been no backstage vignettes, no interview segments, no nothing. So we still got to wait to hear from Ciampa to understand why he attacked Mustafa Ali. If anything, I'll probably see that Ciampa's going to complain that uh, Ali was gone for a couple months. He was complaining and say he wanted to be released, but now he's back, and the first thing he gets is a championship opportunity. Well, I've been here probably break. I broke my neck at NXT and all this type of stuff. So probably like the uh, it should have been me type of situation. I see Champa probably going off on Ali for. That's where I think that's leading to. Anyway, after this, we get a 24-7 championship matchup. Dana Brooke with Reggie in her corner going against Nikki A.S.H. for the 24-7 championship. Dana will win the match by pinfall when she hits a running neck breaker on Nikki for the win. After the match, you get the usual shenanigans. R-Truth, Tamina, and Tazawa will try to pin Dana Brooke to get the 24-7 championship, but fail. And then you see Reggie also try to pin Dana Brooke, but fail as well. Dana would get up, slap Reggie, and tell him that she wants a divorce. I really want this whole thing to end. I understand the 24-7 championship is like a funny little prop for R-Truth because Truth is like the guy for that championship, but Reggie and Tamina and Tazawa, I understand we got to have like some filler characters for this thing, but, like, all right, it's kind of ran this course, so we need to, like, swap in some more people in with this whole situation, but again, that happened on Raw. After this, we would get Seth Rollins now coming down to the ring, and he gets a microphone. Seth talks about how last week on Raw, we celebrated 20 years of Randy Orton, but tonight, we're going to celebrate me, so Seth Rollins deems it Seth Rollins Appreciation Nights. And as soon as he does this, all the lights goes out and he gets a spotlight directly on him. Rollins embraces the spotlight. Rollins talks about how Cody Rhodes is here trying to steal his spotlight the exact same way that he tried to at WrestleMania. And that he will right the wrong at WrestleMania Backlash and prove that no one can take his spotlight. Because Seth Rollins is the spotlight. Rollins would then start losing his composure when the fans would start chanting for Cody Rhodes. Seth says that you people forget how good I am, and that's the reason why I have this highlight reel made for you. Seth tells the production truck to roll the highlight, but as soon as he says that, Cody music hits. Cody comes down to the ring. Rollins isn't happy about this. Rollins tells Cody that if he isn't out here to give him his flowers, then shut up. Cody says congratulations to Rollins, but mentions that how we are basically seeing the unraveling on Rollins right now. Cody tells Rollins that he sees where his head is going and he sees where he's headed and tell him not to cross that line because Rollins is now about to throw out some shots towards Cody and basically about his father. Rollins starts talking about how Dusty would be egomaniac and how the apple didn't fall far from the tree and call Cody an egomaniac just like his father. Rollins would then say that Dusty wasn't good enough to be WWE champion, and as long as he's here, Cody would never be champion. So then you see Seth and Cody start throwing punches. Cody would get the better of it. Cody would hit the Cody cutter on Seth, and Seth would roll out of the ring. So this is adding more fuel to the fire of Cody and Seth to have their match at WrestleMania Backlash. Again, two incredible performers. They're going to have a match at Backlash. It's going to be great. And I know Cody probably gave the go ahead to talk about his father because on the indies, Cody made it abundantly clear to everybody. He said in the interviews, point blank, and he tweeted it out. I do not allow nobody to talk about my father. 
I don't care what you are or what you do. I don't care if you're trying to set up a storyline, an angle with me. You're not going to mention my father because as soon as you try or as soon as you even think about it, the angle is going to get cut. So Seth Rollins has having a previous history with uh, Dusty because Dusty was the guy in NXT that Seth was basically coming up under. And Seth having that relationship with Dusty, and I know Seth has a relationship with Cody, he probably got Cody to say oh, the get the A-OK on talking about Dusty on in this fashion on Raw. So again, letting everybody know, Cody knew about it, so Cody was cool with the whole pot shots. After this, we would get Bobby Lashley going against Cedric Alexander. Omos and MVP will be watching the match from the stage. You know what happened. Bobby Lashley dominated. He would get the match uh, victory by submission when Bobby spears Cedric, then applied the hurt lock as he stared at Omos and MVP. And Cedric tapped out. So again, this was another thing that shows off Bobby Lashley's strength as he's going against Omos at WrestleMania Backlash. Now for the main event, the six-woman tag match. You got Becky Lynch, Sonya Deville, and Rhea Ripley go against Liv Morgan, Asuka, and the WWE Raw Women's Champion, Bianca Belair. Liv would win the match for her team by pinfall. When Sonya had Liv pinned and Sonya's feet was on the ropes, the ref saw... Sonya's feet on the ropes and told her to get her feet off and she wouldn't be counting the pinfall. Sonya would tell the referee to count, but he wouldn't. Bianca Belair would see Sonya's feet on the ropes, throw them off. Sonya would look at Bianca and take her eye off Lib, and Lib would take advantage of this and hit the oblivion on Sonya Deville for the win. A solid main event match. I mean, it was cool and all. I wonder what they're going to do with Sonya Deville. I see that they're probably going to put her as a competitor because now we're starting to see her more in the ring. So my whole question will be, okay, is Adam Pierce going to be running the show by himself or we're going to get Drew Gulak taking that spot because Drew Gulak has been trying to uh, get a whole lot of positions in WWE as either a timeskeeper, interviewer, all these other things since he's not getting time in the ring. So I can see him taking Sonya Deville's spot as Adam Pierce is like right-hand guy or the second-in-command. So that's where I see we're going with this. I know Sonya's going to be as a competitor again. They're just trying to massage her way into their role again. I just think we're going to get Drew Gulak as the uh, other half of Pierce, and I'm cool with it. But Raw was fine. It was cool. I knew what to expect because, again, when it was the last show before pay-per-view, you don't get much. So that's what this Raw gave me. Not much, but it was fine. Now on to NXT. NXT starts off with a triple threat matchup for the NXT North American Championship. It's Cameron Grimes going against Solo Sokoa and Carmelo Hayes, who has Trick Williams in his corner. Carmelo Hayes and Solo Sokoa would not win the matchup. Cameron Grimes would win the match by pinfall when Solo had Melo on his shoulders looking to hit a Samoan drop. Cameron Grimes would jump off the second turnbuckle and hit the cave-in on Solo Sokoa, then cover him for the win. This was a great triple threat match to start off NXT since this is their spring breaking uh event. This was a great way to start it off. You had three guys that were hungry enough to prove that they are the best on their brand. Uh Cameron Grimes being the North American champion, he wants to prove that this win at uh NXT stand and deliver wasn't a fluke. You had Melo trying to gain back his championship. You had Solzko trying to get a championship to follow his bloodline brethren, but no, that didn't happen. You had all three men really putting in a nice, good matchup. At one point, you had 
uh, Solo Sokoa looked like he was about to win because he jumped off, hit the Uso splash on Cameron Grimes. The referee counted one, two, and he looked like he hit three, and he didn't. Solo Sokoa kicked out at like 2.9, and everybody, even way buried on commentary, said that I could have swore that was three, but nope. Cameron Grimes still won the match, and he's still the North American Championship. After this, we get the in-ring debut of Nathan Frazier, who, as commentary would announce, he was trained by Seth Rollins, and he will go against Grayson Waller. Nathan Frazier would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by Andre Chase. At the end of the match, you see both uh, Frazier and Waller standing on the top turnbuckle. Waller pushes Frazier off. Waller looked down, and he looked at his work he admired it and this would allow Andre Chase who was in the audience with his fellow uh, Chase U students to blow an air horn and that noise would make Waller fall off the top turnbuckle and hit the top rope. Waller would then fall on the mat and then Frazier would go up to the top uh, turnbuckle hit a phoenix splash on Waller for the win. This was a good match for Nathan Frazier to have. Waller again I gotta put over him being an in-ring competitor. Waller is good. Waller literally is good. I never heard of this guy. I never knew of this guy until he came on to NXT like spot last year. And this guy has constantly been improving and improving. And I got to constantly say this every time. Grayson Waller to me is what the Miz would be if he were to come out in this day and age. If the Miz was could go back in time and was could uh be bought back in this day and age, he would be what Grayson Waller is because Miz knows how to work social media. Miz knows how to work the mic. Miz knows how to do everything. He just doesn't have that much ring work as the these new guys, these new uh, crop of talent. But Miz works the way of the Stone Cold Steve Austin's The Rock, all these guys that know the simple, the simple basic things that make the most out of little things, The Miz knows how to do that, and that's what I'm saying. Grayson Waller, he has evolved into what The Miz would be evolved in if he were to be brought back in this new crop of situations. So Waller, I see, will be taking over The Miz role if they allow it. But let's not get it away. Nathan Frazier, great talent. He, again, he trained other Seth Rollins. So you know he has that speed. You know he has the agility for high flying when he needs to do it. I haven't seen him really, like, power move anybody, so that would be one thing I can't wait to see Nathan Frazier do later down the line. But again, this was his debut match. It's just for everybody to get a glimpse at what Nathan Frazier could do, and it was a good debut match, and it was a great solid pick for Grayson Waller to be his first debut match. And it was a top pick in NXT since Grayson Waller is up there and one of those guys that could be a champion, but they're waiting their time. So, good pick. After this, we had a sit-down between the bosses of... Uh, Santos Escobar, who had his group Legado del Fantasma in his background, and then you see him facing off against Tony D'Angelo, who had his crew, uh, AJ Galante, and the two other guys who I can't remember their name at this moment. And this segment came straight out of a TV show. You see them meet at a restaurant, it's only those two crews. You see Santos, and you see Tony D'Angelo sitting out at a table. And they try to hash out their grievances with each other. You see Santos and Tony talk about both of them being disrespected by each other. Santos would mention to Tony that Tony is starting a family from the ground up, basically talking about his crew and trying to be the dawn of NXT. And he doesn't have any like uh, 
ground to stand on, while Santos, he's building upon an already established empire since his family's part of wrestling uh, heritage in Mexican wrestling. In that, If you are a wrestling family, you have like this thing in wrestling. If you come from a wrestling family, you have legacy, so everybody kind of knows where you come from, and that's where Santos' whole situation is. He's talking about how he's building upon an already established empire. Santos will mention that they need to call a truce so nobody from either crew would get hurt farther down the line and tell Tony that he needs to follow his lead. Tony would get upset at this idea of him following Santos, but AJ Galanti would tell Tony that, yo, you need to relax and start whispering something in his ear. Then Tony would apologize to Santos for his actions and his antics for these past weeks. Santos would oblige by apologizing for his actions. And then you would see them toast to a truce. And then you see Tony and his crew leave the arena. So it looks like, not the arena, their little restaurant that they're at. And it looks like they're at a truce. But then we will see later in the episode of NXT, you will see Legato basically kidnap AJ Galanti. So Santos is working behind Tony's back. And we're going to see next week, more or less, Tony D'Angelo getting pissed off and try, uh, try to probably take out one of uh, Santos's people. I see he's probably going to take Electra Lopez and kidnap her, and we're probably going to see like a trade-off between uh, Tony trying to get AJ Galanti back while Santos is trying to get Electra Lopez back. That's why I see this probably leading into next week. Now, after this, we would get a tag team matchup. Natalia and Last Legend going against Cora Jade and Nikita Lyons. Cora and Nikita would win the match by pinfall when Natalia would accidentally kick Lash in the face when Lash and Nikita were trading pin attempts in the ring and Natalia would get in the ring, kick Lash in the face. Natalia would apologize to Lash and explain how she was going after Nikita and then run towards Nikita, but Nikita would throw Natalia out of the ring. This would allow Nikita Lyons to hit Lash Legend with a German suplex, then tag in Cora Jade. Nikita then would hit her jumping split on Lash as Cora went to the top turnbuckle and hit a senton for the win for her team. After this matchup, we would get another tag matchup. It is the Kree Brothers going against the Viking Raiders earlier in NXT. We would see the Kree Brothers in their Diamond Mind uh, gym, and they would be training with Ivory Niles in the background tra- training as well. You see Roddy walk up to the Kree Brothers telling them, hey, you guys need to focus and get yourselves together because you guys are going against the Viking Raiders who are former WWE Tag Champions and NXT Champions, trying to prep them up. Kree Brothers tell him, hey, man, we got it. We understand the mission for tonight. Roddy says, okay, I don't want to see none of that crap about what happened at the gauntlet match. I don't want to see you guys losing. And then you see Brutus tell him, hey, man, we understand. We got you. And then you see Roddy call over Ivy Nile, tell the Kree Brothers to pay attention, and he tells them to look at us. Look at all of us. Look at who's here. And then you get the picture that all four of them are here. Malcolm Bivens, who, again, allowed last week, not on NXT, but last week, he got released from his WWE contract. He's not there no more. So all four of them are there. Roddy tells him, hey, we're here. I'm the leader here. You guys will follow as I tell you to. And that's it. And then he leaves. And then you see Julius and Brutus and Ivy just looking and shaking their head. And you see Julius say, yeah, we got you. So then we get to our matchup of Kree Brothers going against the Viking Raiders. The Kree Brothers will win the match by pinfall when Eric and Julius were in the ring. Uh, they're in between the ropes and they're struggling and the referee was dealing with, at the time, Brutus and Ivar. So he doesn't see Roddy come out of nowhere and hit a jumping knee on 
Eric, and then you see Julius hit a sliding lariat on Eric, on Eric for the win. After the match, you see the Creed brothers uh, see the replay, and they will start arguing with Roddy about winning that way. They don't want to win by cheating. They want to win by fair competition because the Viking Raiders and the Creed brothers were having a good match with each other. I mean, you saw the Creed brothers kicking out of everything that the Viking Raiders threw at them. They were hitting them with their best moves. I mean, they hit them with the Viking experience. They hit them with their former uh, tag finish where one of them holds them up for a back suplex while the other one jumps off for a, a leg drop at the exact same time, and they kicked out of that. And you saw the Creed brothers hitting Viking Raiders with everything that they got. So this was a solid tag match between both of them until Roddy came in and just destroyed it. So the Creed brothers wasn't happy about this. So we got to see what happens next week between the Creed brothers and Roddy. Now it's time for the main event, the NXT Championship. Is Braun Breaker going against Joe Gacy? Braun will win the match by pinfall, retaining his NXT Championship when Joe Gacy was going off the ropes for his clothesline, but Braun would duck it and then run off the ropes and hit a spear on Gacy for the win. Braun Breaker had a good match against Joe Gacy, and he hit a uh, Hurricane Rana, a standing Hurricane Rana. He uh would kick out of a power bomb. I mean, him and Gacy actually had a good match. I didn't know what to expect between Gacy and Braun. I thought it was going to be all right, but no, they actually had a good, good matchup. I, for me personally, I put this matchup over uh, him and Dolph Ziggler's matchup at Stand and Deliver and also the one on Monday Night Raw. This match was better than that. So, I mean, Gacy knows how to work because he's been in the independence for a long time. So he's been in the ring with a lot of other people. But Braun is still technically new, new guy. And he's been wrestling like on NXT brand for uh, half the year, almost seven months now. So for him to be working with somebody like Joe Gacy and really those two click with each other, that was unexpected to me. But it's still a good matchup. And... After the match, you saw Braun holding up the NXT Championship in the air, and then you would see two guys in black uh, capes and, like, red masks standing on the ring apron behind Braun. Braun doesn't see it, but we end NXT with them basically staring at Braun as Braun is oblivious to what's going on. I don't know who those two guys are. They never say nothing, but we have to see probably next week. I want to say something right now about NXT. There's a thing going on with NXT and their champions the select champions because the main champions they the fans are booing Braun Breaker now. You got some fans cheering for him, but then you got the other fans like booing on him in this matchup. The triple threat match for the North American Championship. You had people booing Cameron Grimes. I don't understand. When you look back at past NXTs, aka the last version of NXT, if you had a North American champion, they the fans were riding with them all the way until the North American champion did something evil or dick dastardly or they lost to somebody else that they just liked at the time and the same thing with north uh with the nxt champion they were going with the nxt champion to the nxt champion lost the belt and they will either boo or cheer the next nxt champion they will constantly go until the next person goes but in this era of nxt it just seems that if you're not the champion that they want like at a specific time you're going to get booed just period Braun Breaker, he won the championship. People cheer for him. He had his nice feel-good moment, all that good stuff. But then, like, a couple weeks later, he starts getting booed. Now we're getting Cameron Grimes to effect. He getting booed. Carmelo Hayes, he didn't get booed, so he got cheered. So 
I can't say nothing bad about Carmelo, but it just seems to me we're getting a situation with these newer guys getting the podium. So I don't know how we're going to get that or fix it, but I just want people to be aware that that's what's going on. Fans are booing these newer uh, acts with the belts. And it's still weird because they haven't done nothing egregious to, for them to get booed for. But I'm like constantly watching. I'm going to constantly see what the uh, feed is like for online to see what people got to say about it. And hopefully I at least get something by next week to understand why people are booing Braun and Cameron Grimes. But again, NXT was actually a good show. If anything, I would say watch the Triple Threat match, watch the Creed Brothers versus Viking Raiders, and watch the main event. Again, solid episode. Oh yeah, and Nathan Fraser versus Waller. Matter of fact, just watch the whole two-hour show. Watch it. You will not be disappointed in it. Believe me, this was a good two-hour show. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. Dynamite opens up with an Owen Hart foundation tournament qualifying matchup in the men's division is bobby fish with kyle o'reilly in his corner going against jeff hardy who has matt hardy in his corner and adam cole was on commentary for the matchup jeff hardy would win the match by pinfall when he hit the whisper in the win then climbed to the top turnbuckle hit the swanton bomb on bobby fish for the win and now you have jeff hardy inside the tournament with uh, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Dax Harwood, and Samoa Joe. After the match, you will see the Young Bucks come strolling down to the ring, and then once they get in the ring, they confront the Hardys. It's basically old school versus new school, the old school extreme tag team of the Hardys facing off against the new, uh, quote-unquote, Hardys, this new generation of crazy uh, tag team that basically takes everything to the extreme and basically is the highlight reel of tag team wrestling, the Young Bucks, for the last, I don't know, almost since the middle of the 2010s era of tag team wrestling. The Bucks have been holding it up, at least on the independents, that everybody of almost mainstream kind of knows about the Bucks a little bit, whether from Bullet Club or any of their other stuff, but that's a team. So you got old school versus new school in the ring, and they just have a confrontation. They stare at one another. They say a couple words. But then you see the Bucks move over and look at Bobby Fish and make sure he's okay. And that's where this segment would end. After this, we would get a trios tag matchup, or better known as a six-man tag. is the Blackpool Combat Club of Wheeler Yuta, Brian Danielson, and John Moxley, who had William Regal on commentary, going against Butcher, The Blade, and Angelico. Danielson would win the match for his team when he gets a submission locked in on Angelico, which is the triangle choke, and Angelico would tap out. When Bryson, Brian had Angelico uh, transitioning into the triangle choke, you saw Willie Yuta and John Moxley uh, apply like the forearm smash onto Butcher and the Blade, the same forearm smash that Danielson would do to his opponents before he locks in any type of submission on them. So it was a cool visual. Again, the Blackpool Combat Club, I'll give them this. They have cool visuals for whenever the match is about to end. They put all three members in the ring and, and they just like demolish the other team as the guy who's the um, leading captain or the guy who's legal basically ends the match for the team. It's a cool visual that they've been doing. They did it last week uh, with Yuta and now they do it this week with Danielson and probably next week they probably finish off the trifecta with Moxley ending somebody. After this, we was time for Warlow to go against MGF's hand-picked opponent, and the hand-picked opponent for this week was W. Morrissey. And Warlow would win the match by pinfall when Warlow would hit a top 
uh, wrote Moonsault on a standing Morrissey, then picked up Morrissey for a powerbomb, and he only powerbombs him once, and he gets the win, like, off that. These two had a good, like, I'll give it, what, eight-minute matchup between the two? And the funny thing about this matchup is that there was a segment in this, uh, there was a point in this match where you would see Morrissey beat up on Warlow outside of the ring, and you'll hear the fans start chanting, we want Enzo, and then another portion of the fans clearly chant, no, we don't. So it goes for a little bit of back and forth. And the funny thing about this is that I'm a part of the wrestling uh, community or wrestling people that watches wrestling that actually don't mind Enzo being back on television. I understand people probably don't like him for his antics outside of the ring is what he's done before. But I want people to understand that Enzo did not get fined. Like the police cleared him of any wrongdoings of anything. And for what people don't know, it was a situation back in 20. Ooh, I want to say 2018. And Enzo, was it 2018 or was it? Yeah, it was 2018 because 2017, the Hardys came back and he was still teamed up with uh, Morrissey in WWE. It's 2018, early 2018, by the way. Uh, Enzo got into trouble because there was a woman that said that he did certain uh, things to her and WWE released him. Come to find out the police do their investigation. They don't find nothing of the sorts. And I believe that investigation gets concluded like a year later. If not a year later, probably about, no, it was about a year later, I believe. You can look up the research yourself. The point being, Enzo gets found not uh, guilty. They find no evidence or no nothing. So Enzo's name is cleared technically. And he's been having that stigma. So I understand people don't want Enzo around because his antics outside of the ring and people still might think that he's guilty of things because police didn't find no evidence. But I hate to say it to you, we live in America, bro. America, the law is the law, and we're always going to have our doubts about people. But, I mean, if they find nothing, they find nothing. There's certain cases that you're always going to uh, worry worry and wonder, did they do it? In this case, they had people, like, people that knew the girl said that, yo, she was kind of tripping. She's not that sane. She has some problems. So you got to take what she says with a grain of salt. So I'll do that. Enzo found out guilty. I don't have no problem with Enzo meeting back on national television. And personally, I think that people will get upset for a little bit, but then they'll remember how much Enzo talks on the mic. They'll really uh, be glad to have him back. Sorry. But anyway, I had to say that because that just was on my mind. Anyway, Warlord would win the match. After the match, you see security come into the ring and he try to handcuff Warlow, because that's one of his things, because MJF is trying to make sure that Warlow gets in the arena, do this match, and get out. Warlow will beat up the security. He'll take out security one by one. More security keep on coming down. Constantly takes him out. Constantly takes him out. He looks like a freaking machine taking out all the security guards. MJF and Sean Spears gets on the entrance ramp. They call for more security to come out, and as they continue to come out, Warlow just keeps on destroying him and destroying him. Until Warlow gets to Mike and says, this will not end until I get my release from my contract. MGF says, you know what, Warlow, you want to match with me? You want to match to get released from your contract? You'll get it. But you have to uh, deal with a certain couple of my uh, conditions that I have. And you won't know the conditions until 
next week where we will be in a contract signing and you will get your conditions in the most magical place in the world, Long Island, New York. So MGF wants home, like, town advantage going against Warlow in this contract signing. What's going to be in that contract signing and what the conditions are? I have no idea. The last time he had conditions against somebody, it was, yeah, it was Jericho. And the one before that, it was Cody. I forgot about Jericho until literally right now. It's always seemed like it's the summertime. No, the first time it was Cody was around uh, the beginning of the year 20. Was it 2020? Yeah. Well, yeah. It was the beginning of the year 2020 because, yeah, beginning of the year 2020. And then he had his thing with Jericho last year in the summer. So I wonder what the conditions are going to be for this time with Warlow. I don't know what it is. I can't wait to see it because I want to see what type of creativity that MGF has this time. But they only got a couple more weeks until uh, Double or Nothing anyway. So let's see how they quickly speed past this. After this, we will get Hangman Page uh, in-ring promo. And this is basically him responding to what Punk said last week and him uh, agreeing to Punk's match at Double or Nothing for the AEW World Championship. He said, I can come out here and respect say that I respect Punk and that at double or nothing, it will be an honor to wrestle him and that they're going to have a classic, but that isn't going to happen. At double or nothing, there will be no handshaking. There will be no Bret Hart celebratory match. What he meant by that is how Punk and like FTR will be like doing wrestling matches and like um, there'll be certain moves in it that they do to show their respect to Bret Hart. That's what Hangman is trying to say. There will be none of that. Um... He's going to destroy Punk, and Hangman lets everybody know in the arena that Punk isn't here and that he might be filming another television show. And he says, yeah, that's a shocker. Because Punk has been on this thing now. He's been, like, recording certain TV shows, and that's what Hangman's trying to get at here. Hangman finishes off by saying that he's going to embarrass Punk and that he will be into for a fight of his life at Double or Nothing. I believe Punk Hangman is probably going to have one of the great matches of the night. I don't know what other matches are going to happen because there's only been like two matches been like uh, announced. And the other match that will be announced, which happens later in the nighttime, well, later in the night will be Thunder Rosa coming out on the uh, stage and she will basically call out Sheeta. They do their little back and forth. Thunder Rosa talks about how she uh, got motivated to enter wrestling by seeing Serena Deed wrestle, and that was her number one motivation. So Thunder Rosa being the AEW World Champion, Serena Deed being number one, it only seems fitting, and they make their match at Double or Nothing. So right now at Double or Nothing, we have two matches going on. It is the AEW World Champion, Punk, going against Hangman, and also Thunder Rosa going against Serena Deed for the AEW Women's Championship. Okay, uh, after this, we get Santana with Ortiz going against... Uh, Chris Jericho, who had the Jericho uh, Appreciation Society in his corner. So it was a one-on-one matchup between Jericho and Ortiz. Jericho won the match by pinfall, thanks to some distraction from the Jericho Appreciation Society. When Santana had Jericho in between his legs, and he looks like he was going for either a powerbomb or a driver. But then you see Matt Menard, who's basically one of the guys from 2.0, get on the ring apron and try to distract the referee. But before he could do that, you see Ortiz... Going over, pull Matt off the apron, hit him with Jericho's baseball bat, and then you see Ortiz start attacking other members of the Jericho Appreciation Society. As this was happening, the referee was distracted. You see Jericho, Lobo, Santana, and then hit the Judas effect on Santana, which is a uh, rolling elbow to the face for the win. After the match, you see all members of Jericho Appreciation Society attack both Santana or and Ortiz, laying them 
leaving them laying in the ring. And you got to remember, Kingston wasn't here to help out his boys because last week Jericho threw a fireball in his face. So, yeah, Jericho Appreciation Society still stands tall on this uh, episode of Dynamite. After this, you get the Varsity Blondes with Julia Hart in the ring. You have Brian Pillman Jr. on the microphone, and he's talking about how he's been a humble man, and he recounts the incident that happened to Julia Hart basically getting sprayed in the face by uh, Malachi Black months ago. And Pillman talks about how since House of Black has come around, they lost their way, but now they found their way, and now they want to challenge the House of Black to a fight right now. So he calls them out. House of Black comes out to the ring. They get in the ring, and they beat up the Varsity Blondes. I mean, I ain't going to front with you. Pillman and Griff Garrison have no chance against the House of Black. So once you see Griff Garrison laid out in the ring, Pillman's outside of the ring, you see Malachi walk over to Julia Hart and just stare at her. And Julia's in the corner. She's shaking. She's trembling. You see Brody King walk over to Julia, grab her by the shoulder, move her towards Griff, and you see him hand her a chair. And you see Julia take the chair, hold it up above her head, and it looks like she's about to hit Griff Garrison. It looks like this whole culmination of her about to turn to a bad guy, which was months in the making, it doesn't happen. She lifts the chair up, she holds it up for a couple seconds, and then she puts it back down, and she's laughing. And then you see Malachi quickly rush over to Julia and just start berating her, take off her black eye patch, and you see her holding her eye, and you just see all members of the House of Black just surrounding Julia, and they're just, like, showing off these three, like, figures intimidating the small little girl. And then you see... Death Triangle come down to the ring and scare off House of Black. This was a real... I'm not going to front with you. As I was watching this, I tried to figure out why didn't they pull the trigger on Julia Hart, like, hitting Griff Garrison with the steel chair. It didn't make sense to me because you guys have been, like, teasing this for a long time. You guys have been teasing this for a good bit of Julia Hart's going to turn her back on uh, the Varsity Blondes. That day, that's dynamite would have been the opportunity to do it because right now you're still building it up yo you guys lost the momentum now i just say yo okay next week speed run it try to make up some type of uh scenario for it and have her with the house of black hurry up get it done because people are starting to lose interest people already lost interest but now you're really like playing with people's emotion like all right my g you had it but now you like didn't want to detonate the bomb now we don't care no more you're starting to level on that interest with the House of Black, especially with Julia, because Julia could be a perfect representation of what happens when Malachi sprays you in the face and you basically turn over to his uh, side. But again, we'll see how they uh, finagle this one on next week's episode of Dynamite, hopefully with this. Anyway, uh, after this, we would get another Owen Hart Foundation Tournament qualified matchup. Dante Martin going against Phoenix. Phoenix would win the match by pinfall when Dante was looking to hit the nosedive, which is a double springboard moonsault. But Phoenix would duck, and then he would hit a, a springboard crossbody. Dante would catch him. Then Dante would throw him over his shoulder. Phoenix would land on his feet. Phoenix would grab Dante and hit him with a Phoenix driver, which is basically a reverse pile driver for the win. So now Phoenix has qualified himself into the Owen Hart uh, Foundation uh, tournament, and the People that are in the tournament are as followed. You have Phoenix, Kyle O'Reilly, Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy, Darby Allen, Adam Cole, Dax Harwood, and a mystery opponent. 
And the two in the starting of this uh, tournament, the official start of the tournament, will be happening next week on Dynamite, where you will see Adam Cole going against Dax Harwood, and then you will see Jeff Hardy going against Darby Allen. And the rest of the other matches probably be happening like the next week, not the next week, but like the following week after Dynamite. They didn't announce it, but you would get Phoenix going against Kyle O'Reilly and Samoa Joe going against their mystery opponent. I tweeted out I wanted the mystery opponent to be Claudio Cascinelli, or formerly known as Cesaro for WWE uh, people, because um, he's missing wrestling. I ain't gonna front. I've been missing the seeing uh, Claudio on uh, television, and personally, he'll fit more in AEW because AEW is a wrestling company. Like his fit and his standard is literally professional wrestling, where WWE has wrestling, but you know it for its entertainment value. But I hope to get more into that like later. Like, whenever I do have free time and break down what AEW is to WWE and why people should really want your, like, traditional wrestlers to be more in AEW than WWE, but WWE being the bigger platform, uh, known worldwide, you understand why they take the bag and go to WWE. But I'll break that down more, uh, hopefully, down the weeks to come. But that is what's coming up on the Owen Hart tournament next week. Adam Cole going against Dax Hartwood and Jeff Hardy going against uh, Darby Allen. Now it's time for the main event of AEW Dynamite for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship. It's the Undisputed Championship because you got interim champion, quote-unquote, uh, Mercedes Martinez going against Deanna Peraza, who was the Ring of Honor Women's Champion because she beat Roxy for the belt months ago. Uh, Mercedes Martinez would win the match when she locked in uh, Deanna Peraza in a Romero special, then trans... Uh, Transitioned it into a dragon sleeper, and Deanna would tap out. So Mercedes Martinez will win the match by submission. And Mercedes Martinez is your official undisputed Ring of Honor Women's Champion. I don't know yet again. I still don't know how we're doing this. I don't know if Tony Khan trying to get some uh, TV deal with uh, TBS or Time Warner or how he's going to do it to have Ring of Honor be like a part of the show. I don't know if he's going to really like just transform Rampage into Ring of Honor. I don't know what he's going to do with this personally because he has Ring of Honor officially like the sale has been official. He is a legit owner. Everything's been solidified. So all of it belongs to Tony Khan. So he has AEW and Ring of Honor all in his possession. And I don't know if it's just going to be Dynamite and for Wednesday and then you're going to transform Rampage into the Ring of Honor situation because again, St. Clair sold you Ring of Honor. St. Clair had a broadcasting company. I don't know if Tony's going to still have a deal with St. Clair to broadcast Ring of Honor when they start uh, producing episodes and everything. I don't know what's going to happen. Only thing I do know is that I'm interested to see how the future of Ring of Honor is going to be with Tony Khan now backing it and Tony Khan being the owner. I'm really interested in it. But right now, only thing I do know is our Ring of Honor champion is Jonathan Gresham. Our Ring of Honor uh TV champion is Samoa Joe. Our women's champion is Mercedes Martinez. The pure champion is Willie Yuta. And the tag team champions are FTR. That's the only thing I do know for certain. Other than that, I don't know. The mystery is still out there for what Tony Khan's going to do with Ring of Honor as a thing. But uh, Dynamite, good show. I would tell people to watch it. And if you're just going to watch one thing out of the program i will say watch phoenix and dante martin because that's the real cruiserweight 205 flippy flippy stuff that you really do want to see and they actually did have a good match 
And that's what I want people to understand too, by the way. If you do know how to do the flips and the dives and everything, do them with somebody that knows how to match up the exact same intensity as you that knows how to do the flips and dives. I'm not saying that you can't do it against a powerhouse or a, a technical wrestler. But I mean, if you're going to do it to the extent of flip, 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 you got to do it and match it with somebody that knows how to do the flip, 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 flip. And Dante Martin and Phoenix, they did it perfect. They did it to a perfection that, yo, anybody that watch it, you'll say, these guys are really working their tail off. And yeah, they're working their tail off. So I give them a lot of respect from doing as much flips and as much dives and as much all this stuff that they were doing and they were doing it crisp too. So anybody that wants to learn how to do that or just know what I'm talking about, just watch Dante Martin and Phoenix. That is like my match of Dynamite for people to watch Dynamite for. That's the one. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a tables matchup. W. Morrissey going against Brian Myers. Morrissey would win the match when he powerbombs Myers from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring through a table. Uh, this match had inter uh, people interrupting it. You had Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green to help out. Myers, and then you had Jordan Grace to come out and help out Morrissey. Grace is coming out here because she's been having problems with uh, Matt Cardona because Matt Cardona beat her for the Digital Media Championship. So she is coming out here to basically exact some revenge on Matt Cardona. And she does that when Morrissey puts Cardona on Jordan Grace's uh, shoulders so Grace can powerbomb Cardona through a table in the corner of the ring. But Morrissey kind of big boots Cardona in the face, and then you see Grace slam through a table. And it was a fun opening matchup for Impact. It was really good, and I would suggest people to uh, watch that one. Again, tables matches, pretty entertaining. This one was actually entertaining because at one point in this matchup as well, you had uh, Morrissey leaned up next to a ring post, and then you see Myers and Cardona grab a table, and they hold it up sideways, and they try to ram it to break it uh, in the middle of Morrissey and Morrissey Ducks, and then you see them like break the table on the ring post, and I thought that was really innovative because I've never seen anything like that. And even commentary mentioned how if that thing would have hit Morrissey and Morrissey would have broke it, technically Myers would have won. So they thought of something new for a tables match because literally a tables match is nothing but putting your opponent through a table. So again, innovative stuff between... Um, Myers and uh, Morrissey in this matchup. Real good. After this, you had the X Division Championship matchup. You had Rocky Romero going against champion Ace Austin. Ace would win the match by pinfall when Ace would hit the fold, which is a running blockbuster, on uh, Romero to win the match. It was a solid match between the two. Uh, nothing to complain about here. After the match, you saw Trey Miguel run to the ring, and he gets on the ring apron. Ace Austin would throw a punch at Trey, but Trey would duck it. Then Trey will get in the ring and start throwing hands with Austin, which would only last for a short period of time because Trey Miguel would drop kick Ace Austin out of the ring, and then Trey would get the microphone and announce that he will be challenging Ace for the Exhibition Championship at Under Siege, which is happening tonight. All right. I mean, I see Ace Austin winning it and holding the Exhibition Championship because he's going to be uh, going over to New Japan for the best of the Super Juniors. So that was just going to give Impact more publicity in the uh, Japan world. So, yeah, Ace Austin's winning that. Uh, after this, we have Marsha Slamovich coming down to the ring. And this is another squash match. A squash match, ladies and gentlemen, for people that don't know it. And they're just listening to this for the first time. 
a squash match is a match that is only used to highlight the contracted powerful talent and the contracted talent in this match is Masha Slamovich and a squash match also is known as a, aka a quick match Masha would beat her opponent which is uh Demiris and she would do it in quick fashion when she basically hits the snow plow which is a northern lights driver on uh Demiris cover her for the pinfall that was it I think the match lasted what three four minutes tops so, yeah, this was a quick squash match. No back and forth, which is all one-sided. After this, you had a tag team matchup. It was Rich Swan and Willie Mack going against Jay White and Chris Bay. Jay White and Chris Bay will win the match by pinfall when Willie Mack would throw Chris Bay in the air, and he was looking to catch him, but Jay White would grab Willie Mack from behind and hit him with a half-Nelson suplex. And then you see Jay White hold up Willie Mack, and then you see Chris Bay run off the ropes, hit a springboard cutter, and he calls it the Art of Finesse. On Willie Mack, cover him for the win. This was a good match between both of these teams. Rich Swan and Willie Mack, they know each other. They worked together for a long time. Well, for the past two years in Impact. Well, longer than two years, but as a team unit. Um, they've been working together. So I'm surprised they haven't been Impact Tag Champions after watching this match and really doing my looking at it. I'm thinking that they should have been Tag Champions before, but they haven't been. It's surprising. But they know each other real well. Great uh, tag team uh, fluidity between these two. And then you have Jay White and Chris Bay. Jay White, a main eventer, and Chris Bay, an exhibition guy. They've been teaming up together. They're starting to build that tag team chemistry between each other. And again, those two work together well. These four men, they had a great match. And personally, I enjoyed it. And it made me think that I would like to see Jay White going against Rich Swan this one-on-one competition. I would love to see it because both of these guys are uh, great entering talents as individuals. So I want to see that match happen. After the matchup, you see Honor No More run down to the ring and attack Chris Bay and Jay White from behind. And they will beat them up until you see the Good Brothers come running down to help out Chris Bay and Jay White. And all four of these guys, better known collectively as Bullet Club, would clear the ring of Honor No More and you will see Bullet Club standing in the middle of the ring as Honor No More is walking up the ramp, and they, again, is setting up their match at Under Siege, which is a 5-on-5, Honor No More going against Bullet Club. And that, again, is happening tonight on Impact Wrestling, on Impact uh, Wrestling Plus, or you can get it on Fight, uh, Fight, Fight, not Fightful, uh, Fight, that's just the app, F-I-T-E. After this, you have Tomohiro Ishii going against Steve Macklin. This is Tomohiro Ishii's Impact debut matchup. And Ishii would beat Macklin by pinfall when he hits a lariat, then a brain buster on Macklin for the win. Great match between both of the men. You knew Ishii was going to win it. I just thought that Macklin was going to be a quick match between for Ishii. I didn't think Macklin was going to hold up as much as he did with Ishii, but he held up a lot. And that shows you that Impact has some ideas of what they're going to do with Macklin. Macklin is a guy that they have some plans in the future for. So I'm glad to see that happen. So this is giving momentum to Ishii going into his match with Josh Alexander for the Impact Championship, which again happens at Under Siege. Now it's time for the main event of Impact, Monsters Ball. Jonah going against PCO. PCO would win the match by pinfall when... He hits Jonah with a sledgehammer as Jonah was already on the uh, top turnbuckle and Jonah would 
fall out of the ring through a table that was set up outside of the ring. So Jonah smashed through the table outside of the ring. PCO goes outside of the ring, grabs Jonah, throws him in the ring, and goes to the top rope and hits a moonsault on Jonah to pin him one, two, three. This match was a Monster's Ball match, and in Impact Wrestling, is known as Monster Ball, but everywhere else is known as a no-holds-barred matchup. Anything goes, tables, ladders, chairs, thumbtacks. I mean, just basically anything that you want to do in this match you could do, and they did it. You saw PCO get slammed, uh, powerbombed into a bed of thumbtacks by Jonah. You saw both the men use steel chairs on each other. You saw them uh, use a ladder. I believe you saw Jonah, like, flapjack PCO onto the ladder and kind of like bend it. I mean, these guys were really throwing everything they can at each other and PCO got the best of it. PCO won. Great main event for Impact. Solid episode for Impact Wrestling. No complaints for me here. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with a Charlotte Flair versus Aaliyah matchup. That match never happens because Charlotte gets to her ring and Aaliyah's already in there. She gets in. She doesn't have an entrance. Charlotte gets the whole uh, Charlotte Flair special entrance. Charlotte gets a mic and says that she didn't lose the Beat the Clock Challenge last week. She blames Drew Gulak for not ringing the bell when Aaliyah tapped out. So Charlotte is basically on this whole diatribe about how she did not lose. And how at WrestleMania Backlash, she's going to make Ronda Rousey quit. And Ronda Rousey might not even show up again after this. So she gives everybody a quick preview and says that she, instead of calling Aaliyah by her name, she's going to envision Aaliyah as Ronda. So she beats up on Aaliyah and starts calling her Rhonda multiple times and starts telling Aaliyah to say, I quit. Aaliyah doesn't say it, so Charlotte continues to beat up on her until the real Ronda Rousey comes down to the ring. And you see Charlotte and Rhonda fighting inside the ring, outside the ring, then back inside of the ring. Referees and backstage officials will come down to the ring to try to separate these two. Once they do separate them, you do see them try to bust out of their little groups that the referees and backstage officials have them um, in. And you see Charlotte try to bust out of it. You see Ronda try to bust out of it just to get back at Charlotte and or Ronda. So you see those two constantly just try to fight with each other. And again, this is building up more anticipation for their match at WrestleMania Backlash tomorrow on Peacock. After this, you would get Shayna Baszler with Natalia in her corner going against Sasha Banks, who had Naomi in her corner. Naomi comes out with her arm wrapped up because of what Shayna Baszler did to her last week by stomping on her arm. They did say that um, Naomi has a fracture, so she isn't, her arm isn't broken. Shayna would win the match by pinfall and from, with a little help from Natalia when Shayna has Sasha in a small package pinning predicament and Shayna Baszler had her feet on the ropes. Natalia would apply more pressure on to Shayna's feet. The referee doesn't see this, and he counts to three. I like this match between Sasha and Shayna because at the beginning of the matchup, Sasha was just trying to manipulate Shayna Baszler's like arm and try to bend it and break it the same way that Shayna did to Naomi last week. So Sasha was trying to come into this match with revenge on the mind, and that's ultimately what was her downfall. So I like these uh, match that these two ladies had with each other. After the match, you had Natalia get in the ring, and her and Shayna would attack both Sasha and Naomi, and it looks like Shayna Baszler was going to fracture Sasha's arm in the exact same way that she did in Naomi's arm, but Naomi would kick Shayna in the head, and then you see both Sasha and Naomi hit soul food on Natalia, which is basically uh, putting their foot on Natalia's face and like dropping Natalia's face onto their foot. 
That's a move that uh, Chuck Taylor does in AEW and Gail Kim used to do when she wrestled in Impact Wrestling and they called it Soul Food. So that's just the name. Anyway, Natalia and Shayna Baszler were both running out of roll out of the ring. And then this is giving everybody a preview of what could happen next week in the tag title matchup where Natalia and Shayna Baszler will be going against Sasha Banks and Naomi for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. After this, we had a happy talk segment. Happy Corbin got in the ring. He talked about how he can't wait to beat up Madcap at WrestleMania Backlash. And before he could even talk about how he's going to beat up Madcap, Madcap will pop up on the screen and he starts cracking jokes on Corbin. He calls Corbin a wannabe Pitbull or he's auditioning to be Pitbull, uh, imposter for Pitbull. Either way. Uh, he cuts up more jokes on Corbin, and then Corbin says, yes, you feel safe that you can cut these jokes on me while you're in the back. You don't have the guts to say this to my face. Corbin then is met with Madcap, and Madcap gets in the ring and starts cutting jokes on Corbin. He calls him bald-headed. He calls him a guy that's not entertaining. He says that you could go back to being a lone wolf character, but lone wolves have hair. You have no hair. I mean, he was cutting up on Corbin, and Corbin couldn't take it no more, and Corbin leaves the ring. So, again, this just shows Corbin as an insecure guy, so I'm not sure this is supposed to bring out another, like, angry side of Corbin at WrestleMania Backlash when he goes against Moss. I'm not sure what they're trying to do with that situation, but we'll have to see when WrestleMania Backlash happens. After this, we would get Drew Gulak going against Gunther, who had Ludwig Kaiser in his corner. You know what it is. If it's not a big main event uh, level star, Gunther's going to demolish them. Drew Gulak would try to put up a fight with Gunther, but it was no way he could do it. Gunther big booted him, chopped him, put him in a sleeper hold, then powerbombed him. One, two, three, that was it. Gunther wins by pinfall. After this, we have a tables matchup between the New Days, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods, going against Sheamus and Ridge Holland. Sheamus and Ridge Holland would win the match when Sheamus and Ridge would slam Xavier through a table in the middle of the ring. Towards the end of the matchup, you saw Kofi like move all the crap off the announcer's table and start beating up on Sheamus and try to put him on the table. And now he's waiting for Xavier to try to go to the top rope to jump off. You see Butch, better known as Pete Dunn, come from underneath the ring and start beating up on Kofi. We haven't seen Pete or Butch in the last two weeks. So this is his first time back on SmackDown. He starts beating up on Kofi, and this would allow Sheamus and Rich to slam Xavier through the table. So now all three guys are back together. Butch, Sheamus, and Rich are back together. After this, we would get Shinsuke Nakamura going against Sami Zayn. The reason why we have this matchup is because Sami would overhear Nakamura talk in a backstage interview, talking about Nakamura hasn't forgotten what... The Usos did to his tag partner, Rick Boogs, at WrestleMania. And he hasn't forgotten what the Usos and Roman did to him on SmackDown weeks ago. So he's going to wait for the right time so he can strike. Sammy overhears this. He snitches over to Paul Heyman and tells Paul that I'm going to handle this on the behalf of Roman Reigns. You tell Roman this, and this is where we're at. Sammy is a complete snitch. Sammy is working this whole snitchy thing. He's trying to gain back his credibility, but anything, he's just trying to be in the good graces of Roman Reigns so he knows he won't get on the 
bass out and get those Superman punches and those super kicks from the bloodline. That's all Sammy's trying to do here. He's trying to say he's trying to get back his credibility, but if you look at it on the deep inside, nah. He's just trying to make sure he doesn't get up on a beatdown segment. Sammy would win the match by pin, well, not by pinfall, but by countout. When Nakamura was looking to hit Sammy with the Kinshasa, but Sammy would do what he does best. He just rolls out of the ring. And Nakamura follows him, and then you see the referee starts counting. As the referee gets to the count of seven, Nakamura would catch Sammy, but Sammy would hit Nakamura in the face with a big boot, get back in the ring, and the referee would hit the count of ten. So Sammy would win the match by countout. Now it's time for the main event segment of SmackDown. You get Drew McIntyre and RK-Bro. They're standing in the middle of the ring. Drew's about to do the whole Roman stick of telling the whole audience to acknowledge him, but RK-Bro has to stop him. And then they play around with the acknowledge phrase, and they start mocking it. Riddle says, I acknowledge that Randy Orton's my best friend. Randy Orton starts saying that he acknowledges that he got Drew's chop mark on his chest when he beat Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship a couple years ago. You would get Drew saying that he acknowledged beating Randy Orton for the WWE Championship uh, two years ago. I mean, they just start playing around with the acknowledgement phrase, and it starts getting to the point that the bloodline comes out. You see Roman and the Usos come out, and they're flanked by Paul Heyman. And you see the Usos and Roman get in the ring, and now you have both teams, RK-Bro and McIntyre, staring off against the bloodline in the middle of the ring. And then you know what's about to happen. We get a brawl between both of these teams. At the beginning, the bloodline gets the best of it because you see uh, RK-Bro, he took it out by the Usos, and you see Roman hit Drew with, a Superman punch. And then you see the Usos hold up Drew as Roman continues to punch him. Riddle would get in the ring and then he would hit an RKO on Jay. Then he would hit a rip tie knee on Jimmy and then Orton would get into the ring and hit a RKO on Jimmy Uso. So now Roman's the only duck in there with RK Bro and Drew McIntyre. Roman would try to hit Randy with a Superman punch, but Randy would duck out of the way. And then you see Drew run up and hit Roman with a Claymore kick sending the bloodline packing and start walking up the ramp. So the last thing image that you saw on SmackDown was RK-Bro and Drew McIntyre manning the ring as this is the last imagery that you see until WrestleMania Backlash, which will be on Sunday, tomorrow night, which I will be giving you my predictions at the end of the episode, and I will be giving you my review of the show uh, Monday morning. Now time for AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with a tag team matchup. Tony Storm and Ruby Soho going against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and Jamie Hayter. Tony Storm would win the match for her team when she rolled up Britt Baker after Britt superkicked Ruby Soho in the face. So Ruby took one for the team to allow Tony Storm to get the win. Nice tag match at the end of the, well, towards the end of the match, you saw a tag move from Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. You saw Jamie hit, no, no, Britt Baker hit a butterfly suplex off the top rope on, um, I believe it was Ruby Soho, and then you see Jamie Hayter hit a sliding clothesline on uh, Ruby, and then you see Britt hit the curb stomp, and you thought that was it until 
no, it was all that was all on Tony Storm until Ruby Soho got in the ring and Jamie tried to play his defense and Ruby shoves Jamie into the pinning predicament that breaks it up and then you would get to the super kick roll up for Tony Storm to win. It was a nice solid tag match for the ladies. After this, we get Hook going against JD Drake. Hook will win the match by submission when Drake would try to hit a back suplex on Hook, but Hook would turn it around into the red rum, and Drake would tap out. After the match, Dan Hauser would come down to the ring and try to get Hook to be in his corner for his match with Tony Nese next week. Hook would push Dan Hauser into the mat. Dan Hauser would then pull out a small bag of chips out of his pocket and place it on the mat. And you see Dan Hauser leave the ring, and you see Hook bend down to grab the chips, and he just stares at it, and the fans are cheering for Hook and Danhausen, and they make up the name Hookhausen. Hook looks at the fans, he looks at the chips, he puts the chips back down on the mat, and starts walking his way to the back. I have a feeling we're going to get Hook, like, coming out next week at the end of the match, after Tony Nese beats up on Danhausen, he's going to come up there and just uh, beat up on Tony Nese, probably... Look at Dan Housen, give him a head nod or just something, and then like acknowledge that, okay, you got my help here, and then like walk away. That's how I see that playing out next week, I believe, on Rampage. After this, we would get Owen Hart Foundation Women's Tournament Qualifier, Riho going against Yuka Sakazaki. You, uh, Riho would win the match by pinfall when Riho and Sakazaki would be trading strikes in the middle of the ring, but Riho would roll up Sakazaki in the middle of Sakazaki trying to throw a strike. She would put her leg behind one of Sakazaki's legs, roll her up, pin her. And this is after they already been fighting for about a good 10, 11 minutes. And then we get to the main event. Jay Lethal with Saddam Singh and Sanjay Dutt in his corner going against Kenosuke Takechka. Lethal would win the match by pinfall when Lethal would hit the Lethal Ingestion on Takeshka for the win. These two had a good match. I didn't know much about Takeshka until like last year. And even then, he only showed up on AEW like one time technically on like Dynamite. But other than that, he was like on Dark. And he's been and he's now like back on AEW before I believe this last week on dark as well and this is like his first match on rampage so again this is my first time in a, in a minute seeing Takeshka match and him and lethal had a nice solid matchup after the match you would see lethal and sanjay Dutt attach uh Takeshka until the best friends which is chuck taylor uh trent Peretta, and orange cassidy come down to the ring to make the save but they get demolished because Satnan Singh would attack both members of Best Friends and he just starts beating up on them. You saw Orange Cassidy gets on the ring apron and Singh goes over to Cassidy and you see Cassidy puts his arm up and he looks like he's about to do something, but he puts it on his pocket. Singh lunges at Cassidy. Cassidy drops off the ring apron and it seems that was a sign for Samoa Joe to come out because Joe comes out. He has his Ring of Honor television title and he's carrying a steel pipe. Joe would get close to the ring, but you see referee and security and backstage officials trying to get Joe to move and don't go to the ring because Joe really wants to get at Lethal, Dutt, and Singh right now, but he hasn't been able to. And that's how Rampage ends. You see basically Joe being held back. Rampage, again, another hour show. It was cool. I mean, 
Lethal going against Takeshka was a good matchup. Uh, the tag matchup in the beginning of the show was good. And also, Riho versus Sakazaki was good, too. And you know when it comes down to Hook, you know what's going to happen. Hook is going to win the match because Hook's on an undefeated streak, and I don't think they plan on having him lose the match anytime soon. And that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get you guys out of here, let me give you my prediction for WrestleMania Backlash. The SmackDown Women's Championship matchup and the I Quit match, Charlotte Flair going against Ronda Rousey. I have Ronda winning this because Charlotte has held the SmackDown Women's Championship for a solid bit, to my knowledge right now. Because who did Charlotte beat? By God, that's telling you something right there. I can't even remember who Charlotte beat. Charlotte beat... Who did she beat? Because she's held on to this belt for a minute since... I mean, like, Survivor Series, she went against Becky Lynch. Because they had to do the championship switch off. But, I mean, I think since that whole time, Charlotte has held on to the title. She hasn't lost it at all. I can see Charlotte losing this, and it's about the right time for it now. Uh, Charlotte to lose the title. Cody versus Seth Rollins. I see Cody winning this. I don't think they're going to have Cody lose this. I think that we're going to see a more descent into madness with Seth Rollins because he really likes the spotlight and he's saying that Cody is basically taking the spotlight from him. This more sends him into madness and it will lead him basically to throw out one more challenge against Cody probably next month at Hell in a Cell. I believe that's their next pay-per-view that they have. Yep. Hell in the Cell is their next pay-per-view, so maybe we can get that. Maybe not. I know that Cody should be winning the match uh, between these two. AJ Styles versus Edge with Damian Priest being banned from ringside. I thought AJ was winning at Mania because I didn't think we were going to see Edge. I thought that we would probably get like somebody being in a group. Edge being in a group as he's doing now. I thought that we were just going to get like somebody just carrying on the edge thing while he's gone, but nope, edge been at raw almost about every week since mania. So kudos to him. Um, AJ versus edge. You know what? Call me a sucker again. I'm still going with AJ. I think something's going to happen with AJ doing something with edge and he might get the win on this one, him and edge. That's where I'm going with it. Madcap versus Corbin Madcap. You guys just separated him and Corbin, and Corbin is a whiny guy. So Corbin losing the matchup won't hurt him, and Madcap needs a win right now because he's just breaking away from Corbin, and he wants to establish himself as being a guy that he can hold on his own. So I see Madcap winning this one. Bobby Lashley versus Omos. Omos has MVP in his corner. Mm, Omos. Because, again, it's almost the exact same thing with the Mad Cat Moss situation. You put Omos with MVP. You just put MVP with this big new guy. Well, with his new client. And you need to see what he can do with MVP in the side at his corner. I think Omos is winning this. Okay, now for the big main event. The six-man matchup. Drew and RK-Bro going against the bloodline. Uh, You know what? Drew and RK-Bro beating the bloodline. I have it that way. Because you know what? I think this is going to set up for whoever wins this matchup is going to go against Roman next for one of the two belts or both of the belts. That's where I see this happening. So I can see either Randy pinning one of the Usos and he says he has a claim for the championship matchup against Roman. Drew McIntyre beating one of the Usos 
or even pinning Roman to say that he has a claim. Or even Riddle, because Riddle, again, as I said, he's beaten both of the Usos in past matches for two weeks straight. The last two weeks, he's beaten both of the Usos in individual matches. So if he pins Roman in this six-man match, he can say, well, I have your number, Tribal Chief, and I want a match for the tribe championship. So I think that's where we should be going with this. I think Riddle's going to win it for his team, and he's going to pin Roman. That's where I think we should be heading into that direction. But again, that's just me. So I got uh, Drew and RK-Bro beating the bloodline. Buddy, that is my wrestling highlights of the week. That's my wrestling backlash, well, WrestleMania backlash predictions. Uh, you'll be getting a review of that show Monday morning. And I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys have a great Sunday as well. Remember, Mother's Day is tomorrow. Please respect your mother. Uh, please respect anybody that's been in a motherly figure to you that's helped you become the person that you are today. And if you can, please celebrate with them uh, tomorrow on Mother's Day. And with that all being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I love you all. I hope to hear. I hope you guys hear from me uh, next Saturday or even this Monday when I do the whole recap of Rabbit and WrestleMania Backlash. Now, with that stuff all being said, I love you guys. Have a great Saturday. Please be careful on the roads. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.